Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. I want to thank I you I think for... you're very brave to be doing this here today. Thank you. Um, I was actually about to say the exact same thing to you. Um, I think you're very brave to be here today because I know it takes courage um, to listen to what I'm about to tell you. Um, and as Jared said, you know, I know you didn't have to. So thank you. I also, I know it's, I know it, you know, all of this happened a long time ago now. My um, news. Yeah. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. The Meeting by Alan Gilson is one of the most extraordinary films I've ever seen. And when I saw it, I knew I had to talk to the person starring in it, who is Alva Griffith. Uh, she came in to talk to me about her attempt to process a violent rape, which happened to her in 2005 when she was 21. It gives a huge insight into lots of things, including the whole process of restorative justice, because she ended up meeting her attacker and that meeting with him led to a lot of healing. And that's basically at the core of this film, which I would urge you all to see, called The Meeting. So here she is, Alva Griffith. Alva, I watched the film The Meeting in which you uh, take part and... I have to say, I find it very, very difficult watch, uh, but but brilliant. In when I say brilliant, I mean in as an important. And actually, the yes. one thing that came to me when I was watching it was uh, the fact that I just thought this should be shown in in every single school. That's what I kept thinking. Yeah. Because mm. I know there's a big piece about restorative justice. I mean, that's and we'll talk about that a lot. But I felt sure. also just as a kind of depiction of the effect of sexual assault mm. on somebody and the actual long-term impact of it. Yeah. I've never seen anything that has been so vivid and kind of clear to me that I think for men and for young men, young women, um, to see that from both sides of, of the table, it, it's just an extraordinary thing. So first of all, I just want to say well done because it must have been hard. Thank you. Yeah. We can talk about how, how hard, but I suppose for people who don't know your story, mm. would you mind telling us then about that night when you were attacked sure. and where you were and then what happened? Yeah, sure. So um, I was, uh, it, it had happened when I was 21. Um, I had just graduated from um, my my degree and um, I was working in a bar in town um, and I used to basically as many people do, travel home uh, on public transport in, in the night time. Um, you know, um, I suppose, you know, the reason I did that was um, because I suppose at the 
at the first part of my journey, uh, there was always people around. And at the end part of my journey, um, it was about a four-minute walk. So I had rationalised this all as, you know, perfectly fine and, and everything like that. Um, and, you know, it, then, you know, I'd, obviously I had been travelling home that way for, for several years uh, or several months. Um, and then one particular night, um, I uh, basically was travelling home and I basically just, um, I was sitting beside this individual and, and I just got a very strange sense from that person. Um, and I kind of couldn't, I suppose, put my finger on it, but, you know, um, this individual was looking my way and that kind of thing. Um, now, you know, I think as a lot of women have experienced on public transport, that's not altogether a, a, an Unusual. abnormal thing, yeah. you know, um, that's something that we encounter. Um, uh, so I, I didn't kind of, put too much um I wasn't too concerned about it really at the time um so I was traveling um towards my to, to my home where I was living at the time and um I got off and I started to walk down the street um and I had gotten the sense that somebody had gotten off after me but I didn't turn around and look at that time look at, at that point um and then I just basically noticed that this person uh, was walking parallel to me on the other side of the road so, I mean, I got kind of that, I suppose, that anxiety, that kind of sense that, you know, this isn't a, a good situation. Um, and, you know, that was my gut instinct. Um, but there wasn't that much to walk. So I just continued on. Um, and then I turned into where I was living at the time. Um, and then I basically sensed that this person was also turning. So it was basically at that point that I realised, you know, something really bad because what time is this here. at night this was the early hours of the morning so like nobody was around and it was it was you'd been out with friends I was actually working at the time I, I had just come home from a, a shift in work you know um and I you know turned around and when I lo- lo- turned around um this person was staring straight at me so I mean within those split seconds uh, I suppose my adrenaline kicked in and I just immediately knew you know, this is it, something bad is going to happen here. So I then began to run, um, but it was like within those, I can't even describe, 20, 15 seconds that this person ran up after me and basically grabbed me by the throat and just jammed these keys into my um, into my jaw and basically just was trying to drag me around for a bit um, and then dragged me into a bush, essentially. Um, and it was at that point that she, you know, was very violent, um, was um, strangling me, um, hitting me, um, you know, um, biting me a lot, and then sexually assaulted me as well. So um, that was over the course of, you know, roughly 40 minutes or so. Um, and it, it, you know, at that point I kind of, you know, was obviously in, as you can imagine, um, a very deeply uh, terrified and panicked state. Um, and, and I kind of was very, very conscious of the level of aggression um, that this person was displaying. So I, um, at that point, I didn't feel like it would be the right course of action to, to kind of fight back or run away. Um, I felt that he was already being so violent that... Had I done that, you know, it would have meant, you know, the end for me. So that was what I instinctively felt. Um, 
so anyway, I basically kind of continued on for a bit, uh, unfortunately, in that he kind of dragged me somewhere else. But um, I just so happened to kind of encounter two other people walking down the street, two other guys, um, very and, and very generously um, and very, you know, heroically, they basically intervened there. And um, and it was at that point that the person that attacked me ran off uh, in, in one direction. And I obviously began to run in the complete opposite direction. And at this stage, your clothes were torn and all this sort of stuff that happened. Well, you know, they had been removed completely. Um, and then I, he kind of had ordered me to put them back on. So um, this was after, you know, everything had happened. So I did. Um, but I mean, I, you know, you're in such, an, it's such a surreal state that it's very hard to describe, really. Um so I, I had put my clothes back on, but actually my they were inside out. You know, that was, I, I wasn't even, um, you know, I was just completely hysterical, essentially. Um, so I began to obviously run back towards my house and um, I wanted to go straight to the guard station. I had wanted to do that, you know, I thought to myself as it was happening, you know, um, the first thing I'm going to get to, to do when this ends, this is one of my thoughts of, of many, uh, was go straight to the to the guard station. So that was something that was really important for me. Um, but I did was concerned because I didn't know where he had gone. Um, that you know I needed to get to safety. So I called my parents and basically they came and um, picked me up in the car. Um, and at that point we drove straight to the guard station. Um and and yeah, I mean that was that was um that was basically essentially what happened. Um and I suppose then once you go to the guard station, then a whole other array of things starts to ha- starts to happen. Um uh, one thing I'd just say at the outset, you know, although this entire process is very difficult kind of going via the criminal justice system and, and all the things that need to take place in order for, you know, um, the opportunity for conviction. Um, I, you know, I, I still think it's, it's absolutely really important and uh, I would always, you know, advocate go, going via that route. Um, but, you know, I went into an interview room and, you know, you recount your story in great detail, every minute detail and, to be honest, at, at that point, sometimes it's hard to even remember, even yeah. though it just happened. Well, you've just been physically, sexually assaulted. You've bite marks all over mm. you on on your breast, on your arm. Mm. I mean, he'd it was horrific. Yeah, very violent, very savage, and um, and yeah, you're then aggressive. having to try and explain this very surreal, strange, traumatic experience mm. as well. But anyway, like you say, that's what you have to do. It is to what get you have to do. Justice. Yeah. Um, so, what happened then in 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 terms of getting justice and him being convicted? Um, so, I mean, um, it was the best part of a year before you know the the, the actual um, sentencing, but in between, you know, um, they obviously have different uh, different situations where you're obviously seeing this person in in a district court, and they kind of go through you know the whole process of creating a book of evidence because they found the him. They did find him, and the pers- the people that had basically intervened at that point, um, you know, as I mentioned, very heroically, they they actually then chased him and uh, caught him, and um, without that having happened, I'm not sure I would have 
well, A, being alive, and B, you know, there, there, there may not have been a conviction there. So, you know, I, I owe so much to did them. Did they bring you know. him to, did they bring the guards and the guards came they, and picked him up? They did, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's amazing. It was amazing. They saved your life, basically. They did, yeah. Um, I did subsequently meet them and uh, well, <laughs> I expressed my gratitude. So, um, yeah, it, it was a great thing for them to do. I mean, really. Um, you know, so in terms of the, the criminal justice system, um, it, it just seemed like an awful lot of waiting, I suppose. Um, and, and I suppose at that, sta- at that stage, I was obviously in a very traumatised state, you know, I had post-traumatic stress. So, um, you know, my life only existed around this event. I mean, there was nothing else I could think of. I mean, I couldn't watch a film because I couldn't concentrate and I couldn't read a book because I, I'd read one line and I'd start thinking about it again. So it was just, you know, it completely consumed my life, you know, every bit of it. Um, I remember walking out the door and I, and I would kind of um, rationally say I need to go somewhere but in the back of my mind it was like well there's a 50% chance that somebody's going to try to murder you and like it's this type of crazy you know automatic response that you have you know and it's it's very much being like in a war zone or something you're just constantly on guard um, so um, I lived in that state if you can describe it as that for about a year and a half I would say um, and, you know, with that obviously comes depression because what, you don't have a quality of life. Um, and, um, you know, then knock-on effects like eating disorders. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a horrific, horrific time. It really was. Um, I, I, it's, it's, it's like the closest thing to, to um, kind of a hell that I've ever been or experienced. Um, but he was sentenced, he was convicted. That's right. You know, um, there was an awful lot of evidence um, there for... Uh, you had witnesses, you had... Witnesses. Forensic um, evidence. It was forensic evidence. And obviously I was, you know, um, there and I, I was very prepared to go through the process of a trial. Um, so, um, I obviously, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but he, he in the end pleaded, pleaded guilty. So um, there was no trial as a result um, and, you know, but I did go to the sentencing and I read a victim impact statement. And that for me was a really, really crucial piece because all along I felt very removed from the entire um, process. Um, although I had a really wonderful experience with the Gardaí, at the same time, it was like trying to find out information about something that had consumed your life completely. Um, and in fact, I was the I felt like I was the only one that was living in in this place where it was all about this event. Um, I mean, I'd imagine even he wasn't thinking about it quite as much as I was, you know. uh, And, and, uh, you know, so in the end, obviously, um, I went through and I read my victim impact statement and I wanted to to read it out and I wanted to actually kind of confront him in the court, like I wanted to almost read it to his face, but... um, he he was able to basically disregard my existence by just facing down the ground. Um, now, the, the, it could have been that he, he was told to not look at me, um, but, you know, I, I had wanted that kind of acknowledgement, mm-hmm. you know. So this film called The Meeting that you're in, right, mm-hmm. uh, is basically about a meeting that you wanted to have with your attacker. Yes. Um, 
And for a lot of it, it's it's really really powerful. That the the film is very self contained. It really is just about uh, that meeting. meeting. Yeah, and you star in it, which is very unusual because it's not a documentary. Everybody else, well, some of the other people in it are actors, but there's also people like Marie Keenan who helped you through the process, mm. who is playing herself as well. That's right. But I suppose first of all, um, can we talk about? the impact of the attack and then why you felt that actually coming face to face with him and being able to tell him how you felt and what it, what impact it had on you, how that was going to help you. Like, where where did that come into your head? Sure. Um, well, I mean, after, you know, the, the after the criminal justice system piece had wrapped up, essentially, um, it kind of, it almost felt like, you know, people were like wiping their hands and kind of going, okay, that's just, just now get on with your life. Now, for me, you know, there was a certain validation in in what I got from from the the criminal justice system. It was kind of like it 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 allowed me to feel like something external had acknowledged all this pain that I had felt. But I didn't. It it didn't of itself, you know, give me healing. You know, I wasn't healed from the experience as a result. So, um, you know, where do you go with that? Um, and I suppose. I had tried all different types of avenues. I really had um, the A to Z of what people say, try, you know. Um, but it wasn't working for me. It just wasn't working. Um, when you say therapy and various things like that. Therapy, yeah, um, yeah therapy and all, you know, anything that you can try, essentially. I, I, I gave it a try, and but I never found therapy hugely useful for me personally. Um, you, you describe about the, the feeling of numbness, not really caring about sort of friends, family, like that. Mm. You changed as a person. Yes. I mean, I suppose the the effects on me personally were that um, obviously when you're in that kind of um, post-traumatic state, um, you, yeah, I was completely numb. Like I, I literally couldn't enjoy anything. Um, I just, I couldn't, you know, it's almost like you're obviously protecting yourself from feeling anything because it's just too much so um i just it was it was like being a robot in, in some respects you're just continuing on living life um but you just have take no pleasure in it mm. um and so so that kind of continued on for a while um obviously even after the the conviction um but you know piece by piece i suppose i did begin to piece my life back together and I went back you know I was working and I was meeting with friends and I was you know doing things um but you know in the back of my mind I would think you know this thing would would come up for me again and I would feel a deep sense of disempowerment as a result of it and it didn't matter how much success I had in the world I still felt disempowered by this memory you know um and you know, that also was, you know, made me feel sad. So made me feel sad, made me feel angry. Um, and when those things happened, I began to imagine kind of confronting him. Um, and I would imagine kind of either doing something like explaining the extent of, of what he's done to me so that he is aware. Um, or I would kind of picture asking him a question like, why did you do it? You know, because for me, it was always like, I cannot understand how someone can behave mm. that way. I, I cannot understand what would motivate him to, to mm. behave that way towards me. You know, I'd done nothing to him. So um, it was about getting, I suppose, not a l rational explanation, but more of a 
an understanding of how he was thinking, you know. Um, all these different types of, of scenarios um, came up in my mind. Um, and, you know, so time went on and, you know, I didn't, although I'd had those fantasies, I didn't kind of ever think restorative justice because that wasn't a word, wasn't a really word you would have known, yeah. in my vocabulary. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think I might have heard of it, yeah. but, you know, it's just somewhere in the back. Um, and one day I spoke to one of my sisters and um, she basically at that point had mentioned Marie Keenan's name to me. Um, and she kind of said, oh, you know, it sounds a lot like, you know, um, this situation that she she had watched a documentary on a woman in England that was raped and she had a restorative justice meeting with the, the man who raped her. And she said, I mean, it just sounds so alike what you're saying to me, Alva. So uh, you should go and speak to, to Marie and, you know, just see what she has to say. So I then approached Marie and um, I I went into the room and I kind of... I hoped that she'd explain to me why I wanted to do what I... Because I didn't almost understand myself, you know. But you definitely um, had a very clear sense very clear that if sense. you could ask those questions and talk to him, mm. that something would change. Something would shift, yeah. yeah. I did, I did. And, um, you know, so we talked about it for, that, for the, during the course of that meeting and, and at the end of the meeting she kind of said to me, well, OK, then, then let's do it. And... Uh, I mean, that was just that that almost in of itself kind of lifted something for me because I, I felt a hope that I kind of hadn't felt. And also you'd before. empowered you, you'd done something, you had mm. kind of instigated something and you'd said, I want this. And yeah. she had said, yes, that can happen. So that must have felt a bit like. Oh, it did. I mean, you were navigating it a bit, a bit more. Exactly. Yeah. And it like and yeah, exactly. Taking a little bit of control back, taking a bit of, of power back, which is, you know, which I will explain is obviously ultimately what this is all about. But, um, you know, so then the process kicked off. I mean, it was... So what happens? They they go and talk to him and say, do you want to meet this person that you did this to? Which I imagine is a very interesting yeah. conversation. Well, I mean, at the moment in Ireland, um, we're, we're a little bit behind in the other jurisdictions. So there's no real, um, I suppose, state agency that you know, you can go to specifically for this. So it just so happened in my particular case that I was able to go via the probation service. Um, and they are, you know, pretty progressive about this this type of thing. Um, and uh, more and more, you know, you can just sense that they're becoming open-minded about it. So um, we did approach them. And I will say it did take a good year before year and a half before I went into the room with him so it was a long process so I mean one of the things is you're probably going to want to really want this um to, to get it you know um but so we went through that process um I another important point to probably mention is once that process was kicked off um you know when I found out that he knew that I had asked to have a meeting with him even at that point, I felt benefit from from this process because I felt incredibly empowered by the fact that he knew that I was not afraid to meet him, you know. Um, so piece by piece. Every you know, step of the way, there was something in it for you in, in a way. Yeah, the power yeah, was yeah. kind of coming slightly back. It was like me asserting, I'm not afraid of you. That was my message to him, you yeah. know. Um, and, and, you know, so things went on. Obviously, there's a huge amount of preparation work that goes involved, you know, for these meetings and that's a really critical part of the the, the the process so that that basically looks like you know once he agrees to kind of go into the process um 
you know, the facilitators of a meeting, so there usually be two facilitators, they will meet with both parties at separate times and they'll start discussing, you know, what the meeting might look like. So what, this, what for instance, the victim would want to say um, and, you know, what questions, you know, he or she might want to ask. Um, and then they would give, the, like, feed that information back to, mm. just for the purpose of this, call the offender, the offender. Um, and, you know, then they would get kind of uh, a back and forth type of negotiation, I suppose, um, on what is acceptable for the purpose of the, the meeting, you know. Um, so I was clear, for instance, from that preparation stage, that A, I wasn't going to get an apology from him. He wasn't prepared to give Were that. you looking for one? I wasn't, no, no. Um, I found that really hard sort of at the beginning of the meeting where it's clear that that's not what that's about. Mm. Like I was really like almost screaming at the screen <laughs> watching it going, Terry, you're fucking sorry. <laughs> you fucking animal. Sorry, yeah. that's me. I got yeah. a lot of reactions watching it. I know, I know. And like, but that's the thing. I mean, for for anybody's re- meeting, any, anybody's start of just a meeting, it's going to be very personalised to them and what they need to get out of it, you know. But you and didn't need an apology. I didn't need an apology. Um can we can we go into the room then? I suppose it's to talk about it in terms of what really happened on the film because the film is quite a faithful depiction. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a transcript, but you had notes of what you said to the offender. Yes, and um, you have obviously the words that he said probably seared on your brain. Exactly. Um, so let's take it that the film is a is a very accurate depiction. Yes, of what happened when you walked into the room. Were you scared? Because that's another thing. It's sort of interesting. You you talk about the fact that you wanted to show him you weren't scared, but mm. he had done this so awful thing to you. Um, mm. But you you had you weren't afraid of him because. Well, I mean, going into the room, I suppose what made me overcome any potential fear I had was a. I was more afraid of being afraid for the rest of my life than I was afraid of him. Do you know? Yeah. Um, that scared me more than anything else could. Um, and B, I knew that once I went into the room, all I would see there is another person. And that's exactly what I saw. So automatically your fear reduces. Um, obviously, you know, it does take a certain amount of, of you know, drive to go in there. But um, once I went in there uh, and we sat down and, you know, as you will see in the film, um, something quite interesting happens. You know, um, it starts to evolve into a, an interaction between two people. Um, and that in of itself um, manages to basically humanise two people that, you know, I mean, for him, I certainly wasn't a human. Um, and for for me, he had been a monster all along. So um, once those two... You know, once the victim and the monster kind of, um, I suppose, labels start to start to change a bit, uh, you know, really profound things can happen. I read it again in the paper, your, your statement. Victim impact. I read it and I thought, that's very well written. See, she's well educated. She's not just beautiful. She's a well-educated lady, and I knew you're well-educated. Very... Very articulate. You said I was... the personification of misogyny. I thought that was very well, Paul. You started by telling him that 
that it was your humanity that you couldn't understand how he couldn't see you as a person. Exactly. And yeah. and then also then you didn't see him as a person because and that's that was the fear. But like you say, gradually through the film, the things he says, you start to hear a bit about his life. Quite a mm-hmm. sad, pathetic life, really. Is pathetic a bad word to use about him? Is that a bit? I don't, I don't want to say is that a bit too mean, but well, but I also did feel he was very self pitying. So I'm just talking about the the film now because I wasn't in the actual meeting, but it annoyed me at the beginning. Mm. I was like again shouting at the thing. Stop feeling so sorry for yourself. He was mm. trying to tell you that his life was very bad and that his um, he could never get a girlfriend and mm. he just could never have a normal life. And mm. I, it really felt like he was trying to not justify it, but do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I suppose he he did he did refer to those things, but for me, what was really really important was always about what I was saying to him. Mm. So even though he may have, in some respects, looked like he was making excuses or trying to explain everything away, um, I got out of the meeting what I wanted by making the statements I I made and asking the questions I asked. But what I will say about what you've just referred to there is, you know, for me, I suppose when you sit across a, a real life, you know, a, the table to a real life person who's talking like that, I think it's very instinctive. Well, it certainly is for me to, to feel some type of empathy or compassion for somebody like that, because, you know, like truthfully, you know, it was quite sad to hear what he had to say. It wasn't so much about the stories, but more, you know, to, to experience, I suppose, a person who lives their life that way, who thinks that way about themselves and mm-hmm. about their life. So um, I was kind of taking it from a, a little bit of a higher level than... than I know, you're, you're higher than me because no, I was I down in the, in the gutter. But you're also, I, mean, I think but... you're quite... I think the very fact that you wanted to do this in the first place and that you had the insight to know that this would help you mm. makes you kind of a bit of an extraordinary person, I believe, because I don't think many people be able for it. Mm. But I know that what you're trying to do is to encourage people actually to go down this road because... If it's right for them. If it's right for them, but yeah. also that it could be right for them because for some be. people it might not even be something that would enter the conversation, yeah, you know. Exactly. Um, just talking about more, you had questions you wanted to ask him and you did ask him, like, why why you, why mm-hmm. he did that. Yeah. Um, and that was, that, you know, he, he really, uh, he had a lot of anger in him, mm-hmm. you know, and you as a, you know, a beautiful woman that he felt he, he was jealous and angry at his life and he was basically taking things out on you, wasn't he? He'd chosen you, he'd seen you at the bus stop and he followed you onto the bus. Yeah, I mean, he did, um, I suppose he did give an explanation there, you Mm -hmm. know, and I will say I wasn't looking necessarily for a kind of a a rational, logical explanation because there couldn't be one for that. Mm. But, I mean, what I wanted was to, I suppose, see through his eyes what was going on there because I couldn't, I, I just couldn't fathom how how angry he could be at me for absolutely no reason. At one point he says, like, it was your it was your high heels shoes, mm. your fucking shoes I just saw red. I thought that was a really strange bit. Yeah. And there was, like, to think of him. He, he just couldn't... You was the depiction of something that he just couldn't achieve or couldn't have, and so the thing was to destroy it, yeah. is what he was basically... Is that, is that what you understand it to be? Um, yeah, I, pretty much. I mean, I, I think that was that was the gist of it, all right, yeah. Um, and it, it's astonishing, um, but it's important for us all to, I, well, I feel, um, to, to be aware of, you know, um, 
you know, I suppose how these kind of dysfunctional thought patterns can can really result in, you know, I think that's kind of good insight, I suppose, what it was what I mean. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think for me anyway, personally, seeing that through his eyes actually gave me some type of closure because at least I understood now what he was thinking, you know. And it might sound strange to other people, but it's very hard to accept somebody acting out in such a level of aggression without understanding at all why you know it's it's very hard to accept that well so even though it wasn't rational and it was dysfunctional like you say still hearing the words out of his mouth about the anger he felt about his own life Mm. about the reason he chose you about what he was trying to do and you did ask him at one point would he have killed you was Mm. that what he was saying and he he does admit that actually that's where it could have gone not that he was intending to do that but that Mm. that's could have yeah. been the result of, of his... Oh, yeah. I mean, there was absolute honesty in that room eventually. You know, it really... It was really open and, and honest. And although, you know, people would say, well, how could you want to hear that information? I mean, it's just... It's horrible. But at the same time, I know the truth. And I know the truth of what was going... You know, could have happened. And for me, that is closure. Um, because of who I am, because of how I work. And... Um, you know, this kind of restorative justice setting is is the only opportunity you're ever going to get to, to get that because you're not a chance in, in hell that you would get that mm. by the criminal justice system. There's a, there's a, it, it does kind of warm up. It, it's it's a it's a very difficult watch, but mm. sort of by the end of it, there's a sense, and this is going to sound very weird, but it's almost like a reunion of of a very mm. strange sort. But he starts to tell you where he's at now, mm. you know, that he has his life together a bit more, that he actually has friends. He never used to have friends. And there's one very gobsmacking bit where he talks about um, that he was out with his friends the night before. And he's telling you this and, and, and that this girl asks him to walk her, walk her, for him to walk her home mm. so for so that she could be safe walking home and i mean he tells you this and in the in the film anyway you kind of laugh mm. because what else can you do oh, i did laugh <laughs> yeah laughed did you laugh in real life yeah. as well yeah. because it was just so strange that he was letting you know that actually now he was able to walk mm. a woman home without doing what he he did mm. to you yes and do you get was, what i'm saying about some kind of weird reunion even though you would never want to have a reunion on that basis but uh, uh, well i mean I know what you mean about reunion. I mean, and, um, you know, Marie Keenan uh, would often talk about the fact that um, it it can, having a restorative justice meeting can also basically enable you to detach from somebody. You know, it's almost like you 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 meet up again to ultimately detach, you know. Um, if she would word it in a different way, but that's, that's the gist of it. Um, so I do know what you mean. I mean, that was an interesting moment in the, re- the real meeting and the, and the film, obviously, um, because, you know, I suppose it was relevant for a number of reasons. Firstly, here I was laughing in the room with the same man that did what yeah, he did. Yeah, that was, that was the thing. I think the juxtaposition of that, the fact that you mm. could smile... Mm. And actually, it was a genuine smile because it was, what he said was just so mad <laughs> and so funny. But yeah. that you were to have that moment with mm-hmm. him as well yes. while looking at him and yeah. having... I mean, and that, that was totally humanising, yeah. you know. And even though it was kind of almost darkly comic, you know, well, very darkly comic, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was also very humanising. And, and I got from that, from him basically trying to display, you know, yes, I'm actually somebody who can try to be a better person. Um, you know, I'm trying to be a better person. And that was really came through very strongly and um you know you would see that evolve during the course of the, the film you know um 
you know, he, he, he's kind of maybe a bit more reserved at the beginning, but um, as time progresses, um, you know, it's it's such a powerful, such a powerful, um, you know, interaction um, with, with like raw honesty and... Um, and how transformative that can be is just it's just astonishing. So Alva, how transformative was it? I mean, literally from walking out of that room, was was there something different in you? Yes. I will tell you, ultimately, the benefits are, um, for me, um, is that it enabled me to change the reaction I have to the original memory. So, for example, you know, not that I think about it too often, to be perfectly honest, I, I really don't. Um, but if it does come into my sphere of thinking and I think about what happened on that night all those years ago um, I automatically think about that meeting and You think about the meeting with him in, in the room In the room, yeah. yeah And that You see him as a person I see him as a person and that leaves me feeling ultimately empowered um, and um, with, with, a, with a sense of compassion, with a sense of forgiveness and being able to basically let go of it mm-hmm. again you know, so it's trans it's transformative in that way. It transforms my original memory into something that is much more empowering. Um, and, you know, that's that's just um, a gift that that nothing else can, can give. You know, I couldn't have gotten that anywhere else. Was there something about when you walked out, I think you smiled or your dad saw you smiling and he ha- felt he hadn't seen you smiling for a very long time? Absolutely. You know, I when I walked out of that room, literally for about three days, I, everywhere I went, I just was smiling because something so, at my very core felt very healed by the experience, you know, um, and it's very hard to describe really, but but I genuinely felt that. And I had been kind of carrying this heavy weight for so, so many years Um nine years of it you know that to be released of that was just it was incredible like I, I felt physically lighter and um yeah I, I, my my all my family would say they definitely saw a big shift in me you know when Alan Gilson came to you and said he wanted to make a film based on the encounter what was your reaction and why did you ultimately decide that you would play the part of yourself when it could have been an, a, an actor a young woman yeah. playing well, I mean, there were a couple of things. Like, f- firstly, after my real meeting, um, I was kind of, um, I suppose, going around to different um, conferences with Marie Keenan, um, sharing my story, essentially working as an advocate, I suppose, um, just because I, you know, as, as, you, as I just described, it was so transformative for me that I, I felt people should at least know of the possibility and know of what can happen. Um, and then they can make up their own minds mm-hmm. if it's right for them. Um, and... You know, so I had almost basically hung up my hat there and I kind of went, well, I've I've gone around and, and said my piece. But it was in 2016 then that um, Alan Gilson and Tomás Hardiman, the producer, got in touch with Marie and they wanted to hear more about restorative justice. And she basically had described to them a couple of different stories and one of them was mine. Um, and they kind of were, you know, interested in it. And um, I met with them. And, you know, I told them the kind of A to Z of it. And, you know, when they went away from that meeting with me, they kind of said, well, that's a meeting, you know, that's a that's a film there. Mm. So um, so I agreed because I felt, you know, what better way to really advocate for the process um, other than like bringing people into the room, back into the room with mm. you and, and reenacting it. Um, and, you know, Alan has really achieved something amazing there because he's really 
showing the power and I think it really comes through and everybody has said that you know anybody yeah. that goes to see it so. it's an absolutely incredible piece of uh, film like mm-hmm. I have to say it stayed with me I know it will stay with me I don't know if I could watch it again to be honest mm-hmm. but I, I don't need to almost because I feel yeah. like a lot of it's seared on me I mean yeah. Um, you do an amazing job I know you're just being yourself but being yourself is hard when there's <laughs> cameras pointing at you and yeah. and stuff but you really do and there's such a power in knowing that this happened to you the person mm. who's sitting there even though the actor you're dealing with is is not the real person it happened but sure. yeah. I didn't I sort of believed it was I kind of suspended all it all felt very yeah, real he's you know? amazing Terry yeah. he's very really very good. very good um, so what what happens now I mean are you, you're still an advocate for restorative justice yes. um, an evangelist to a degree I, I imagine because because of the way it has changed you and given you a chance to live your life again and not be defined by what happened. Absolutely. Um, I had this woman on the podcast called Edith Eager. I don't know if you've read her book called The Choice. Um, She was a Holocaust survivor, so she was in um, Auschwitz. But she, her thing is all about um, no matter what happens to you, um, that you can Mm -hmm. stop being defined by it. And it's a different path for for different people. Like she went back to Auschwitz. She went to various places. She did a lot of, you know, therapy around it. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. she's a psychologist now. Mm -hmm. And she helps other people to understand that they don't have to be, that they can make a choice. Absolutely. And it happens in a different way for different people. But I think your choice, but going into the room with him, Mm -hmm. that was you deciding, no, I'm not letting this thing define the rest of my life absolutely. and it's it's brave and it's really painful yeah I mean absolutely um it 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 was yeah a, a, an unusual choice um as as we understand it now but um it was definitely I mean to know that you can take an, a, a really terrible experience and transform it ultimately into something that empowers you that that you you use you source power from um, is is an incredible thing, and it, it leaves me with a lot of optimism because you know I feel you know we all encounter challenges um, in life, and that's just part of it. But um, it's always about trying to transcend them um, and trying to absolutely not be defined by them. Um, and this isn't the definition of me. This is not my identity. This is an experience I've had. Mm. What do you do in real life when you're not being an actor in a movie? <laughs> It's a little bit more dull, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, like financial services. <laughs> yes. yeah. Nice, safe. It. Leave it at that. <laughs> Leave yeah. it at that, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, um, as I say, I really do think everyone should see it. And I think, I don't know what it is. I just think young people in particular, I think mm-hmm. in, in terms of uh, the effects, not just of sexual assault, but just yes. of dominance and of people. Uh, we talked about power a bit, you know, mm-hmm. just using your power in that way to, to subjugate somebody and, yes. and what it does to that person. Mm-hmm. That I think, I think he only got a sense of it by talking to you. Mm-hmm. So I think we talked about your healing and your kind of moving on. Mm-hmm. But I imagine he must have got an awful lot out of that encounter in terms of really like at one point he says, he told you that when he heard all the things he'd done, he said, Jesus, I couldn't have done all that. Could, mm. could I? You know, yes. he, he was he had to confront and look at you and see what he had done yes. and hear what he had done, which I'm sure was yeah. a very difficult uh, thing. Mm, yeah. Now, something happens at the end. There's a phone call and I won't say it because I do think it's it's important. I just wanted to know whether there was phone calls, whether there was a response afterwards. There was a, re- a follow up after. Yeah. Um, okay. And, you know, I think. You know, I will leave that yeah. to the, the side, but um, I, you know, it's um, that was certainly a, a kind of a, a cherry on the cake, uh, something unexpected. But mm. um, when I walked out of that room, 
initially I'd already gotten everything that I ever needed, yeah. you know, so... It, then it something else happens and you'd have to watch the film. But the film is called The Meeting. It's by Alan Gilson and it's it's also a very beautiful piece, I think, as well. Yeah. The way it's all weaved together with the evidence and beautiful, just even yeah. little motifs like the birds on the wall and mm. the bird song and there's, there's lots of very beautiful arty things that really work and really make sense of the story um, but yeah, ultimately I'd just like to commend you for your performance and for your bravery for for both the original meeting and then re, redoing it again because I think you've done an amazing service I think it's going to have ramifications and it's going to help an awful lot of people in lots of different ways that we don't even know about yet I so, so. Yeah. it was really really great talking to you Alva oh, you too. and the best of luck Thank with everything Rachel. That was Alva Griffith there and I'm very grateful that you came in to talk to me I find it very um powerful story but something that can really help other people as I said and the film is out now it's by Alan Gilson and I hope it gets really widely viewed because it really is important that's all we have time for on the women's podcast the podcast is produced by myself Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and if you can go to iTunes and give us a review we really do appreciate it I'm Roisin Ingle thanks very much for listening Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.